0: Once again, we would like to welcome our guest speakers today, and uh, I'd like to uh, welcome Dr. Rob Shepherd. Thank you.
1: Well, good morning. It's been nice to uh, spend this time with you. And uh, I wanted to tell you a little bit about the friends with whom I travel. Normally my wife is here. My wife's name is Reba, and this is uh, once in a great, great while she has to meet that and or miss that, and so she sends her prayers and greetings to you also. We've been traveling with Ernie and Sue for about three years. You really get to know someone very well, and it is absolutely a delight, especially when you see how the Lord is working in their lives. Now, uh, is there anyone here that is not familiar with the free material that we are handing out? We want to make sure. I think we've gone through that um, there's a notebook one for each family a set of cds again one for each family and in the notebook is a little brochure with 24 of the names of god that help you in being able to study further and you have the the laminated card that you can stick in your bible and uh, help the word to come alive so be sure and uh, see sue afterwards and uh, pick up your your free material, and we're just absolutely delighted to be able to share it with you. Uh, I've spent a long time with Ernie. Uh, He and I uh, met many, many years ago, and then when I was called to go to the university to teach, lo and behold, Ernie came down there and uh, took theology. Now, Ernie likes to really take the time and to soak these things in so he attended several colleges to get all the knowledge that he has and uh, he had all kinds of fun on the way and uh, finally when he came down to Keene he got serious and finished everything up and the Lord called him and into Oklahoma uh, to be a pastor there and so uh, while he was at Keene believe it or not I know it doesn't look like it But we were actually the tennis champions of Southwestern Adventist University at one time and no one has usurped our throne yet. Of course, we won't play anyone right now either, so (laughs) but it's been wonderful to be able to spend this time with them on these these journeys and going out and the hours that we spend in in talking. We've been to Canada together've been to the West Coast together we've been over many places here in the in the Southwest together and it's been a wonderful experience when you see a person as they really are. Ernie does training for a lot of salesmen for a uh, major corporation, and uh, I know that uh, they delight in his humor also and uh, when you really want to see Ernie come alive. Put a Bible in his hand and let him talk about his father. This morning, that is exactly what he's going to be talking about. It's more than his father. It's his daddy. Ernie? I'm
0: going to move down here. I like to be close to people. It's an old story. You probably have heard it, but it always bears repeating. Little girls in an art class. And the teacher says to the class, I want you to draw a picture of somebody that you admire. Well, most of the students were just kind of thinking, looking around, thinking who in the world could that be. But the teacher noticed that one little girl was just drawing away. And so finally the curiosity got to the teacher and she went over and looked over the little girl's shoulder and said, well, honey... Whose picture are you drawing, little girl? Well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher kind of smiled and said, Well, nobody knows what God looks like. They will when I get through. (laughs) That's what we want to do, is draw a picture of God, and hopefully in the next 30, 35 minutes, when I'm through you'll know a little different side of who God is, what He looks like, and above all, how much He loves and cares for you. Abba. It's only mentioned in the Bible three times. By the way, all three times are in the New Testament. Paul mentions it twice. Mark mentions it once. But it's my favorite name because Abba means literally daddy. Now, one thing's nice about the old languages is that they liked word pictures. And so, if you were to look up a word picture, a little video of the name Abba, daddy, this is a picture that you would see. You would see a daddy in the floor. With several of his children around him. And they're opening up presents. And they're laughing. And they're rolling around on the floor. And they're giggling. And they're having a great time. That is the word picture, the video for Abba. Have you ever thought of God as daddy? Recently we were up in uh, Moses Lake. And Friday night I mentioned that, as I did last night, that I would be talking on Daddy, Abba. And I had a gentleman come to me and he said, very sincerely, I'm not looking forward to tomorrow. I said, well, how come? He said, I didn't have a good daddy. And I said, I realize that could happen. But please just bear with me tomorrow. I had a good daddy. I had a great daddy. He died about 12 years ago, and I still miss him. Every time something good happens, part of me just says, Boy, I wished I could pick up the phone and call my daddy and share it with him. You know, I think a lot about my daddy. I was a literature evangelist. As Rob said, uh, I want you all to know I'm a very educated person. I mean... Doctors go to school six, seven years. I was in college nine years. I realized a long time ago that in college, it doesn't get any better. Had a dorm full of women about 300 yards away. Had a cafeteria that would feed me. A sports program that you could play basketball and baseball and tennis. How was life going to get any better than that? So, um, but every summer... I worked my way through college by selling Bible books, literature evangelist, student call porter. And my daddy worked on the railroad, and he had two weeks, sometimes three weeks of vacation a year, but he would always take one week during the summer, and he'd come and work with me. And oh, how I looked forward to that week. It would be just me and him. Now, my daddy was a hard worker, so that meant that I probably worked twice as hard that week because I had him there with me. We started at 9. We didn't finish till we sold something or it was dark. But during the day, we just had a great time. And as I looked back, at, I didn't recognize it at that time, but as I looked back, as I got older, and a little bit more mature, I appreciated that he would take out of vacation two weeks, that he would spend one every summer with me. That was my daddy. Two years ago, Sue and I were blessed with another grandchild, and this one started out life pretty rocky. He was born about six months, three months uh, premature. When he was born, we saw got a brief glimpse of him as they brought him from place to the emergency, and he weighed one pound, fourteen ounces. Look like just like a little bird. What God does in life and what modern science and medicine does in life these days is absolutely fantastic. He's two years old. He's very healthy. Everything's fine. But we found a few months ago he started talking and the contest was on. Now I thought I had outsmarted Sue. So I was over there when it was just me and Shay and I would say, Shay, Grandpa. Shay, Grandpa. Lo and behold, one day I walked into a room and there was Sue going Shay, Grandma. I thought, what a traitor! She won. But do you notice that I was not sitting there saying Shay, Grandfather, Shay grandfather you see the words I wanted to hear from his lips was grandpa that intimate sound too long in our religious experience we've fallen in love with Jesus but we've taken God and put him aside because we wasn't quite sure of him have a good friend, Jeff Lindsay, there in the Arlington Church. He had, was teaching young people. And he said, when you get to heaven, how many of y'all want to go see Jesus? Well, every hand went up. He said, how many of you want to go see God? Not so many hands. You see, your picture of God defines what your religious experience is. And if your picture of God is one of Father, very stiff, very formal, sitting around the dinner table, everybody in their tuxedos or their suits and ties, and Father standing at the head of the table, everybody respecting but not loving, we want to change that. And so, lo and behold, God comes along and introduces himself by many names, but one of them is Daddy. And so I invite you, in the next few minutes, let's take a look at your Daddy. I mentioned that the word Abba, Daddy, is three times in the Bible. Two of them is Paul. Paul in the book of Galatians, Paul in the book of Romans. And he uses both instances as one of adoption. Now in the Roman Empire, adoption was big time stuff. Adoption was always from a very poor family. It was always a boy. And the adoption would take place into a rich, educated, well established family And it was thought of as a tremendous opportunity to start a new life. Adoption was kind of funny. What would happen, it was public. It would be in a big public square. And so the son that was to be adopted with his family would show up in the square. The well-educated family who was going to adopt would be there. And on the first day, they would kind of haggle what they were going to do, and there would be no agreement. And then they'd come back the second day and do the whole process over again and the well-educated family would offer more and better opportunities and nothing would happen. And then finally on the third day, the whole town watching the adoption took place. And Paul says, as this son who had a life of not a chance, moved into a life where he had every chance, every opportunity that he would cry out when he recognized that, Daddy! Daddy! Because his life was anew. The third time that Abba Daddy is mentioned, I'm going to save that towards the last. One of the things that has helped me in my study of the scriptures is to understand, and Rob touched on this, was that the stories in the Bible are not about men and women. They're about God. I remember as a teenager hearing the story of Job, how Job just took it. And, you know, whatever happened to him, I thought he just stood straight and tall and said, bring it on. And at the end, he said, well, no matter what happens, though he slay me, I will love him. He did say that. But then when I began to reading the book, I found out that Job said some other things. Like, I wished I was never born. I wish if I was born, you would have taken me right over to the grave and stuck me in it. Well, now I was growing up as a kid, we don't hear those verses. But you see, it was God who said to the universe, to Satan's charges, Satan saying, I've won everybody, nobody likes you. And he says, how about my servant Job? And then I began to understand the book was not about Job. It was about God who was in Job's life. And though he was just like us, he complained, he wondered why, he asked why, he said he didn't understand why, but the bottom result was he still trusted his daddy. In the New Testament is the epitome of the parable of the good daddy. How many of y'all are familiar with the parable of the good daddy? I see, two, three, four hands. Well, no wonder because they mistitled the thing. You might know it as the prodigal son. The story is not about a prodigal son. The story is about a good daddy. The prodigal's not the hero. The prodigal's not the star. It's that daddy. So they ought to change it. Parable of the good daddy. Now we know the story. Two sons. The elder one stayed home. Labored. Young one had great ideas. You ever heard anything like this? You don't understand me. I've got to go find my own way. You're old. I'm young. You can't relate to me. And so the story picks up where he goes to his father and he tells him, Father, I've just got to get out of here. There's a whole world out there for me and I've got to go find it. I just want to go with your money. Now the story says the son came to the father and the father gave him his inheritance, which, by the way, was one-third. The older son always got two-thirds. The, eldest, the youngest son got one-third. Now, i got a question to ask you. When the story says the son came to his father and he said, okay, do you think that was the first conversation they had had about this problem? No. no. What father, what daddy in his right mind would have said to such a whimsical Thing, go ahead, ruin your life, take off. No. This son had begged, pleaded, pouted, and it was finally when the daddy had no other choice than to say, I've got to let him find out the hard way. And so the story says, That he gave him his inheritance and the son takes off. Got a question to ask you. I like to ask questions. They're always fair questions. What do you think as the son was walking down that path to an obvious place that the father knew where it was going to end up? What do you think went through that daddy's heart and mind? Would you like to know? For you see, I know what went through his thinking. I know because if we had time and we're not, we would turn to Matthew the 23rd chapter. And we would find Jesus on a hill overlooking Jerusalem. The city that he loved. The city that should have accepted him as the chosen one. And we find in Matthew 23 as he looks out over that city knowing what was going to happen to that city in just a few years when the Romans would walk in and destroy that city. I know what went through the daddy's mind because Jesus said with tears in his eyes, Oh, how I love you. And all I wanted to do was to take you like a little chick like a hen does and just put you and hold you under my wings. I know what went through that daddy's mind because when I turn to Jeremiah, the 13th chapter, I see where God said to his children, you will not listen to me. And when you don't listen to me, tears wells up in my eyes and the tears flow down my cheeks. I know what went through that daddy's mind. Because if we turn to Isaiah, the 49th chapter, we'll see God again speaking to His children and He asks a question. Can a mother forget her sucking child? The answer is yes by the way. Just heard of a story in another country this last week where a woman took her newborn baby and gave it away for money and a new home. So, can a woman forget her sucking child? Absolutely. But God says, I cannot forget you. And even though you're wandering away from me, in Isaiah 49, he says, I've taken your name. Your name and engraved it on the palms of my hand. Do you get that picture? Your name, your name, your name on God's hands. And then one of the saddest chapters in the Bible, Hosea 11. You want to know how that daddy felt as he watched his prodigal go down? Hosea 11. And God said to the children of Israel, the ten tribes, they were about to be destroyed totally. And he pours out his heart and he says to those children, it was I who took you by the hand and taught you how to walk. It was I who took you up into my arms and I fed you. It was I who took you and bound you in love with cords of loving kindness. It was I, your parent, who cared, nurtured, and took care of you, but you will not listen to me. And I have no choice but to let you go. And so we see a daddy finally gave in, no choice, had to let him go. But as that son walked down the path, some would like to say that the daddy said, boy, you'll get yours. You don't know what's going to happen to you down the road. It's not what he said. He said, there goes my precious treasure. There goes the one I love. There goes the one I nurtured. And he said this with tears rolling down his eyes, down his cheek. He was heartbroken. What do you think went through the son's mind? I wonder three things. Did he stop and turn around and wave goodbye to his daddy? As he walked down that path, did he kind of give him the back of his hand? Or most likely, he was so excited, never gave him a thought. And so the story tells us that he had a good time as long as his money was there. Wine, women, and money. Some think it's a good time, Leads to heartbreak. And finally, we find him no money, no friends, no nothing. And I want you to get this picture a Jewish boy in a pig pen trying to beat the pigs to eat what they're eating. Can you get any lower? Luke says, in just one little sentence, and he came to his senses. Well, there ought to be a book written on that one sentence. Because it's important for us to understand how did he come to his senses. Just don't think it was magical. Just don't think that he sat there and said, well, this isn't working. What's plan B? Let me tell you how it happened. In your life, just as in his life, there's two forces always at work. There's the devil who delights in not only messing your life up, but taking you to the absolute depths of depravity, just as he did that boy, a Jewish boy competing with pigs to eat. And the devil says to that boy, you're no good. Look at you. No escape. Thank God there's another voice that says, go home. You can't go home. Why, you've embarrassed your family. They're so ashamed of you, they can't take you back. Go home. There's no hope for you. Your family doesn't want you, and your church doesn't want you. You are a disgrace. Go home. And that's how he came to his senses. Because there was a voice that simply said, Go home. And so he said, I'm going to go home. And he got up, and then he does what all people generally do. He starts writing out his And I imagine by the time he got home, that speech was a masterpiece. I'm not worthy. He didn't understand his daddy at all. It's important for you to understand. He did not understand his daddy at all. Because he says, I'm going to start at the bottom. And I'm going to work hard. And I'm going to earn my daddy's love. And I'm going to earn his respect. And over the years as I do that, then gradually he'll take me back. Oh, what the work the devil had done on him. And so he has a speech down. Every morning that daddy came out. And he looked as far as he could over that horizon for the precious thing in his life that he had lost, and that was that son. And lo and behold, one day he sees him. And again, Luke, good with sentences, bad on describing a story, he simply says, and the father, the daddy, ran. But boy, let me tell you what that statement is. have to understand the Jewish custom. The Jewish custom was... The man was king of his home. And protocol to the Jews was everything. And the proper protocol was when anybody, relative, person, came to that home, the father, remember that stern old person? The father would stand in the doorway and he would wait for whoever was coming to come up on the porch and then he would be properly greeted. That's what fathers do. Daddies, when they saw him afar, they he began to run. You see, with daddies, there is no protocol. He started to run. I can imagine the servants. Old man standing there. Wow, did you see? I didn't know the old man could run that fast. And all of a sudden... Here's the servants running to keep up with him. You start, he runs. That's how much he cares and loves for you. You start, he runs. And so he gets there. And Luke does do a great job on this because the sun starts out with that masterpiece. Father, I have, and the daddy's not even listening. Doesn't care. There are no words. And what do the daddies do? They do what any daddy does. He grabbed him. He hugged him. He kissed him. He wept on him. And then he said, get some sandals. Only servants were barefooted. Get some sandals and put them on my boy. Get the best robe in the place and put it on my boy. And by the way, go get the best calf we have anywhere and kill it because we are having a party tonight. Let me tell you, God likes to party. Zechariah says when there's a Child that comes home, he gets up off his, his throne, takes his crown off, and he sings, and he claps, and he dances. God is real. Amen. And so this daddy did what every good daddy does. He ran, he wept, he hugged. He took care of every problem and he announced to anybody that was in around, This is my son. He is home and we're throwing a party. Amen. I have a younger brother. There's just two of us. And so as I was growing up, my younger brother found a way to get in more trouble than I did. And so my parents tended to help him a little bit more. And so there was part of me in this story that wanted to defend the elder brother. So I have begun for probably 30 years to do a sermon on the elder brother. I never finish it because it gets very discouraging. Because every time I think about the elder brother, this thought comes across my mind. What if he would have got to the prodigal before the daddy? What in the world are you doing here? You've disgraced our family. You've disgraced our church. How dare you even think about coming here? And that's where I stopped. Now this wouldn't have happened in Mount Pleasant. I really believe it wouldn't have happened here. But I've been in some churches you know what I mean? So I stop. It's as far as I've ever got. The daddy through a party. Mention that there was a third place that the word daddy, Abba, is found. That's Mark the 14th chapter. Jesus had taken three of his disciples, three of his favorite, his closest, and he told them, I'm going to go pray, and will you stay and watch and pray for me? And so Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He lied prostrate on the ground. I want you to get this picture. If the angels from heaven had not come and took care of our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would have died there. The decision of Calvary, the decision of what he was going to do for mankind was made and formed in the Garden of Gethsemane. There were two powers there in that garden. There's always two powers. And one power said, why are you doing this? Your three friends. See that tree? They're fast asleep. Why are you doing this? They don't care. Why are you doing this? You have a ministry of three and a half years. Where are your hundreds of thousands of converts? They don't care. You see the greatest lie the devil can give to anybody is nobody cares. God was there. Jesus gets up. He goes back and He wakes the disciples again. And He does it a third time. Can't you see I'm suffering? Drops of sweat like blood was on him. I need you. Pray with me. And they fall asleep again. And as he lies there on the ground, clutching that ground, praying, he cries out. The most precious name. You can cry out the most intimate name, a son can cry out, Daddy! Daddy! And his daddy gave him the power to sustain and go through the next 24 hours because of you and me. As I said to that gentleman in Moses Lake, please bear with me. If you've had a good daddy, which I did, then this story's magnificent. That's why I love it. But if you didn't have a good daddy, let God be your daddy. Let God put His arms around you. Let God tell you how much He loves you. Let God be your daddy. Oh, he'll love that. He'll love that. I don't know you folks. you all very nice, very hospitable. But I do know one thing. There are people that's here today hurting. Anytime you have this many people in a congregation, there's someone hurting. We all learn to say everything's fine. I don't know where you've been in your spiritual life. I don't know where you are today in your spiritual life. But I will share this with you. I've been in the pig pen. I know what it's like to try to beat the pigs out. And there were two voices. But thank God I listened to the one that said, come home, come home, come home. And so I invite you, if you're there, if you thought you've done something that can't be forgiven, or if you thought it's too late, don't listen to the devil. Just come home. He's waiting. He's looking. He's the one urging you to come home. And when you make that move, don't worry about your speech. You're not going to have time. He's not going, I guarantee He's not going to listen to it. If you're away from God today, come home. Because He already has your party being planned. Do you get that picture? Your party... Being planned. T.R. Rosenberry, great evangelist in the late 1890s, tells this story. He's on a train that's going from New York City to the West Coast. And T.R. Rosenberry says that they're in Kansas. Trains, of course, back then moved very slowly. And he noticed a young boy, 20, 21, 22 years old. He was sitting down there in the seat and he would get up and he'd walk to the front of the car. Then he would sit down and he'd come back and he'd walk to the back of the car. And it was just a continual up and down, up and down. Finally, T.R. Rosenberry, being the great evangelist he was, he knew something was bothering this boy. So he went to him and he said, Son, I can tell something is wrong. What can I do to help you? And here's the story the boy in from Kansas told him. He said, I left my farm home two years ago and went to New York City. I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to do some things. And it just didn't work out. And so about a month ago, I wrote my parents and told them that sometime in July that I was going to take a train. And you see... He said, this train goes right by my farmhouse that I used to live with in my, with my parents. And he says, as the train goes by that farmhouse, it starts to ascend up a hill and it's going to slow down to get up that hill. <clears throat> so he said, I wrote my parents and told them I was going to be on a train sometime in July. And if they wanted me back home would they hang a white towel out on the fence post and he says if i see a white towel i because the train's going so slow i can get off the train if there's no white towel then i'm just going to go on to california and whatever happens happens but he says you see we're getting ready to come up to that farmhouse and i'm so nervous i just can't stand it anymore And finally, he talks T.R. Rosenberry to go to the front of the car and look for a white towel. Now, Mr. Rosenberry's anxious because, you see, he's part of it. And so, sure enough, the train started coming down, started slowing down, going up a hill, and T.R. Rosenberry is at the front of that car, and his eyes are searching as far as he can see, And he's looking for a white towel on a fence. And there is no white towel. There's no white towel, there's sheets on the rooftop. There's sheets on the clothesline. There's sheets on every piece of that property. T.R. Rosenberry says, On a hot July afternoon, it looked like there was a storm, a snowstorm, right in the middle of July on that farm. And he said, As that train went up that hill, the last thing he saw was a young man, a briefcase in one hand, and his hat in another hand, running as fast as he could, going home. God has put out sheets everywhere He can to show you He wants you home. Do you see them? Do you see them? They're there. Oh, how He loves us. Oh, how He cares for us. Your name, your name on His hands. Your name. Dear Daddy, how precious it is that you chose that name. And when your son in a garden the weight of the world crushing upon him cried out the most intimate name, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Help us today to understand the depths of your love, the many names that you've given as promises. And I look forward to the day when I can see my two daddies, when I can wrap my arms around Reuben, and wrap my arms around my heavenly daddy. What a day that will be. Jesus' precious name.